11.15, yes, sir. Good morning, brethren. I'd like to echo the words of other speakers and teachers of our classes. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here at this Bible school, to be back home in, in the sense that my father was born here, and so I have roots here in Arkansas as well. And the opportunity to present this class certainly is, is a privilege. We celebrate, we remember Christ's death each first day. The presiding brother gives remarks to focus and prepare our minds prior to our partaking. Prayers are offered, and then we partake of the bread and the cup. As we know, it's the most important thing we do each week, 52 times a year. If we think about it, if, if a brother or sister is in the truth for 40 or 50 years, let's say 50 years, and I'm sure there are more than a few in our midst who have been in the truth that long, they will have partaken more than 2,500 times in their life. So this is certainly a very important subject for us as believers. But I must say that I have never studied it until the past few months in any depth. As I began to study, and the more I looked into all its aspects, I soon realized how little I really knew about the Last Supper and the breaking of bread. Now, actually, my biggest concern when I started was that the, would I have enough material for a six-day class here at Bible school? My sister wife shared the same concern. Now, when we think about the actual verses of the institution, they are few. It's also true that there has not been as much written about this particular subject as many other biblical topics. And that's within the household and, and even among the, quote, scholars. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized was there. In fact, there's so much behind and beyond the few verses that constitute the institution and the Gospels and the writings of Paul the more I dug, the more I found. And I think this is true with almost any topic of study in the Bible. So my concern changed from having too little to, I'm afraid, too much for present, presentation in our classes, as, as often happens. Oops. Oh, this was working. We started with this introduction, and we won't reread it, but just to emphasize once again, as Brother Williams did in this particular chapter from the world's redemption, that this is a duty, the partaking of the bread, of bread each week is a duty, is a commandment of Christ, but it's also a very special privilege, and it's one that he instituted, our Lord instituted, that we do each, each week. We just had this working. Brother Larry, do you know why it would have stopped? 
good. Okay. In the way of introduction, we also wanted to refer to an exhortation by Brother Robert Roberts in Further Seasons of Comfort. Here he presents, I believe, a wonderful perspective of the breaking of bread that sets the backdrop of what we want to look at this morning. He considers three aspects of the purpose of this institution. The first one is that it is a continual protest against the fancies of men by which they hope to save themselves apart from the real Christ. For us, it is a continual profession of our subjection as true disciples, a continual remembrance of those things which are apt to pass out of our mind. Yeah, until we get it. Yeah, thanks, Brother Art. Thirdly, Brother Robert says, it's a confirmation of our allegiance to the one body, the supremacy of our Lord as head and husband, root and vine, that these things are the most glorious and characteristic features of the system which centers in Christ. His commentary was, it was a sober meeting in that upper room when all outside was feasting and gladness. The sorrow of the hour was but part of the work of the preparation for the great house of the Father as a tabernacle of God with men. This leads us to one other point that I want to emphasize from Brother Roberts in this exhortation, a point that I believe is extremely important as we consider this subject this week. That is, it is much more than doctrine. It is much more than exposition and understanding of Scripture. Oh, no, that's okay. I forgot the whole thing was up there. No, go back. Go back. Hit the back. There we go. Brother Roberts had this to say. To see Christ unbosom his grief to his disciples and soothe the sorrow caused by his word is to learn that we belong to the Christ community. And this is what we want to emphasize. We are not callous theorists or unsanctified dealers in doctrines that touch not our feelings and move not our sentiments. But on the contrary, the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That they that live should not henceforth live unto themselves. And we're speaking, of course, ourselves. But we as believers in Christ and his brethren, should live unto him that died for them and rose again. Okay. So the objectives of our class this week, I've put in the form of three questions. The first one is what took place at Christ's last meal with his disciples, the last supper just prior to his crucifixion. The second question is what was And what is the spiritual significance of this last meal? And thirdly, 
How was the breaking of bread celebrated in the first century? And how, and equally if not more important, why should we remember his death in our services today? Here we list the primary sources that I used, not all of them, but the primary ones. You'll see some familiar Christadelphian texts and a few non-Christadelphian. And frankly, I did not rely on them so much except for perhaps the, uh, mainly on the apostate beliefs and interpretations concerning the breaking of bread. Uh, One I did not list that I must mention that I used is Bullinger and some of his notes that I found to be particularly valuable. All right, we're, our technology is working again. Well? <laughs> I thought it was. Yeah, it's just, it's not picking up very well. Okay, all right. So much for technology. Well, as with any scriptural subject, we need to look at the historical background and the setting as part of its context. And so before we get into the Last Supper in the New Testament, we'd like to spend a few moments looking at the Old Testament in regard to the Last Supper. Next door. But before we do, we have to say this, that this Last Supper was no ordinary meal. Its purpose certainly went beyond that of the primary reasons of satisfying one's hunger and enjoying one another's company as a social occasion. There's no question about this. It was a special meal. In fact, it was a unique one in all of history. As Jesus of Nazareth fellowshiped with his apostles around the table this last time. And certainly we see in it the connection between the holding of a meal and the offering of a sacrifice. And we know this started even before the law. We take, for example, the time of Jacob when he reconciled with Laban. It was sealed by a sacrifice in conjunction with a meal. This was the account in Genesis 31. But having a meal before a sacrifice, and we emphasize before a sacrifice, was quite unusual. But this was the case, as we know, in the Last Supper. Under the law, certain certain sacrifices could be consumed by the offerer along with his family and friends. And, of course, we think of the Passover in particular. But the question we would like to ask is this, and one that I'd like you to keep in mind as we proceed through the classes. I think it's a very important and a very pertinent question to our understanding of Christ's institution of the breaking of bread. That question is, was the Passover celebrated by Christ according to the law during the Last Supper? And more specifically, more specifically, was the Paschal lamb eaten by Christ at this occasion? Next. Now we'd like to look more closely at the Passover itself when it was celebrated what took place during this feast, and the features of the meal, the Passover meal, as it is important background to our consideration 
of the Last Supper. As we know, the Passover was held in conjunction with the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasted for seven days. And we read from Leviticus 23, verses 5 and 6, In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And as we know, the lambs were brought to the temple and slain in the afternoon of the fourteenth day of the first month, that is, Abib. And the priest would take the blood then from the slain animals and pour it at the foot of the altar according to the law. Then the people gathered in family groups normally, at least ten in number was the tradition, to celebrate the Passover after sunset. The Passover meal was eaten, as it says, between the evenings. That is, it began at the end of this 14th day, but actually the lamb and the main part of the meal was eaten very early on the 15th, or after in the the evening. But again, according to the Jewish day, it would have been the 15th. This was known, became known as the Passover Sabbath. Here we show a rendering of a traditional setting of a Jewish Passover meal. As you would expect, you have the family sitting around, actually reclining on the floor on cushions around this table. On the table, we see the lamb, the roasted lamb, the bitter herbs, the wine, the unleavened bread, and so forth. So now let's look at what actually occurred, and we believe as close as we know, even at the time of Christ, and even today, with the Orthodox uh, traditions of of celebration of the Passover. There are, in fact, eight distinct parts of a complete celebration of the meal. The first part, or the first thing that happened, was it started with the head of the household saying the words of thanksgiving for the feast day, and for the wine. Then the first of a series of four cups, four cups of wine, was served to the guests, followed by the first course of food consisting of greens, bitter herbs, and harisseth sauce. Then the Passover story was recited. In the first part of the Hillel, Psalms 113 and 114 were sung. Then came the main course of the meal, which included the lamb, the roasted lamb with the bitter herbs and fruit. But actually, the first thing as part of this main course was the drinking of a second cup of wine. Then thanks were given to God by the head of the household, this time over the unleavened bread, now served for the first time. After the meal, there was a third cup, known as the cup of blessing, again accompanied by the giving of thanks. And then we have the second part of the Hillel. The rest of that series of psalms was sung. And finally, according at least to the custom of this day, there was a fourth cup that was served. We were not sure at the time of Christ if that was part of the custom or not. Now, we also should be mindful of of what happened during a normal Jewish, what we might call former former meal at the time of Christ. 
Because there were elements of the Last Supper, even in these, what we might consider common, formal Jewish meals. It began and it ended with a giving of thanks to Yahweh. The head of the household, after giving thanks, would take a loaf of bread in his hands and he would break it into pieces and he would share it with all those present. At the end of the meal, the host would take a cup of wine. It was known too, just like in the Passover, as a cup of blessing. He would give thanks for it, and then all would drink from this cup as it was, a pa- as it was passed around. So we find at least certain elements, and particularly the bread and wine, that characterize the Last Supper were present in this Jewish meal, even at the time of Jesus. Now, we could spend the rest of the week talking about the beautiful types, the many types from the other feasts and the sacrifices. I'd like to just spend a moment concerning this, the peace offering. Now, certainly Christ's sacrifice is most closely associated with the Passover, there's no question, and the Last Supper with the Passover meal. But the other sacrifices, I would submit that there is a fairly strong affinity with the peace offering. That is in terms of aspects of Christ's sacrifice as well as the breaking of bread. Now, we'll just mention a few of these types. And I have a handout, but I intentionally did not give it to you because I know my temptation is to look through the handout as we're talking. So at the end of the class, uh, we'll bring the handouts out and please get a copy. But it's primarily consists, there's information that we'll be looking at during the class, but there's other information in there that we don't have time to, to go through in the class that's there for your personal study. But just a few points about the peace offering. The peace offering, as we know, was a sacrificial meal of fellowship with the essential idea under the law that it was to show our fellowship or their fellowship with God through the partaking of a meal in his presence, a meal provided by Yahweh. The peace offering followed the burnt offering in the order in Leviticus chapter 3. So we might see a type here with the fellowship at the Lord's table coming after our initial self-consecration at baptism. As far as the types with Christ, we see the offer was to put his hands on the head of the sacrifice, thus identifying himself with the slaying of it and expressing his dependence on it. The sacrifice was slain by the offerer in person. And this emphasized yet further, the sacrifice was for himself as well. The choicest portions of the sacrifice were also burnt on the altar. When we think about Christ's life, was he not in the prime of his life as he served his father with the fullness of his power and strength and then gave of his very life? And last point we'll make is that the priest also received his special portions as a heave offering, expressing the idea of a willing and perfect sacrifice. And again, there are several other types that are brought out in your handout that you can look at later. Now, with this background from the Old Testament and the Passover meal itself, we want to turn our attention now to the New Testament and specifically the Gospel accounts of the Last Supper. 
And you, you can imagine we will be spending much of our time in these accounts. As we turn to these familiar accounts in Matthew 26, Luke 14, or excuse me, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, we come to a very important time. And I would submit, and I think you would agree, it was the most important day in the history of Adam's race. It was the 14th day of Abib, the day of preparation, and the day that the Passover lambs were to be slain. This particular Jewish day begins in the evening with the Last Supper, and it ends before 6 p.m., which would be our next calendar day, with the Son of God having offered himself as the Lamb of God. As we begin to consider the Last Supper, we want to address three questions. First, as we've already Reference was the Last Supper a complete, emphasis on complete Passover meal with the partaking of the Paschal Lamb? Secondly, if not, why would Jesus send his disciples to prepare for the Passover? And finally, why does the language of John seemingly contradict the other Gospels as to what day this was and thus when the Last Supper occurred? we're going to try, probably tomorrow, to resolve this contradiction. But first, we want to establish evidence for a Passover meal. And if we look at the account in Luke, we find there what would appear to be strong evidence for this. Let's turn to that account in Luke 22. We'll read just a few verses, words that are very familiar to us. First, verses 7 and 8 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. Then down to verse 13. And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Verse 15, And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And lastly, in verses 17 and 20, we have the reference to the two cups. It takes our mind back to at least two of the three or four cups of the Passover ritual. In verse 17, And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And in verse 20, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now we know there are more details, in fact, many details concerning this meal that are associated with the traditions of the Passover. And we'll go through some of those now. The timing... It was in the evening, we are told, after sunset. The special arrangement to eat in Jerusalem, where the Passover was to be held. The number, and number being greater than ten, certainly, at this Last Supper. The reclining position at the table. The breaking of the bread. And eating of the bread in the middle of the meal, that was a Passover tradition. 
and the giving of thanks for the bread and the wine. And then we have the sop that was part of the Passover, the two cups, as we just read in Luke, and the singing of the hymn that we're very familiar with, as mentioned in Mark, Matthew and Mark, before they went out into the garden. All of these facts suggest that the Jewish Passover was kept by Jesus this last time. Again, in your handout, there is even a longer list of these other similarities between the Last Supper and the Passover for your reading and study, your own personal time. Many of us have looked at the works of Edersheim, entitled The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. There's no question how he felt on this matter. He, He says... Nothing can explain away these facts, some of the ones that we just mentioned, concerning the Passover and Christ partaking of it with his disciples. Edersheim believed that the Sanhedrin would not have postponed the Passover, in this case from Thursday to Friday evening, to avoid the Sabbath immediately following the first day of the feast. As many believe in this particular year, the way the feast fell, that 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 happened. But... If this delay was in fact the case, this, this delay that is in the Sabbath, would explain how Christ was crucified, explain how Christ was crucified at the same time the Paschal lambs were eaten in that particular year. Edersheim did not believe that was the case. Edersheim thought it was equally untenable that Christ would keep the Passover a day earlier than it was observed by the rest of the Jewish world, which is another explanation. He goes on to say, and I quote, It is fitting that he would offer this one Pascha, partaken of its commemorative supper and connected his own new institution with that to which this supper pointed. This joining of the old with the new, the one symbolic sacrifice, which he offered with the one real sacrifice, seems to cast light on the words after expressing his desire to eat this Passover with them. We know he said at the end of the institution, I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We know Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And it is a fact that believers in the first century appropriated the language of the Passover to the sacrifice of Jesus. But we have to consider, and I I must emphasize, this is a suggestion for your consideration, the possibility that Christ's instructions when he said, prepare us the Passover that we may eat, It may have meant one thing to the apostles, but had a different connotation when Christ expressed it in his own mind. For Christ, we know it was to be a memorial feast, a feast of a greater deliverance than that from Egypt. So we would refer to it then as a new Passover. Is this what Luke meant when he wrote, they came, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. The Passover must be killed. In retrospect, Luke could see that it not only behooved Christ to suffer, but to suffer 
that day, the day of the Passover, that he, his Messiah, was the Passover. The words of Jesus appear to be explicit until they are read with a special emphasis on one word. That word is this. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. So we ask the question, was he speaking of the Passover, the traditional Passover? Or was he speaking of a new Passover, a special one, a new institution that he would make at this very occasion? For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof, this new Passover, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, we ask? The Passover celebrating the deliverance from Egypt by the hand of Moses? Or the Passover celebrating the redemption from sin and death of all mankind by the hand of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now don't get me wrong. There is no question concerning the types and the fulfillment of Jesus concerning the Passover. Now, you can't begin to read this unless you have very good eyes. I know it's an eye test. This particular slide is in your handout, again, for your own study and and reading over. But what we have here is looking at the different types from Exodus chapter 12, considering, as we know it was intended as a foreshadowing of Christ and his sacrifice, as the true Passover. Without a doubt, this is one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful types in all of Scripture. So having considered these things concerning the Last Supper and all the aspects of it that were like a Passover meal, and that's absolutely true, we must acknowledge that there are some difficulties with what we might call the paschal setting of the meal. There is no reference, for example, in the institution accounts to the Passover lamb or some of the other aspects like the bitter herbs. There's no mention of Christ or the apostles partaking of it. Christ gave thanks for the bread and then broke it. Whereas in the Passover meal, it was to be broken first and then a blessing said. Individual cups were used, even at the time of Christ, as far as we know, for the guests at a traditional Passover, rather than a common cup that was passed and shared among them. The same thing was true for the sop. Each guest would have his own dish for dipping. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, John's account indicates that the supper occurred before the feast began. As we mentioned, the Apostle John's account raises some question about the timing of the Last Supper as we compare it to the other accounts. For example, in the 13th chapter, and that's the relevant chapter in John, we have the supper mentioned, but of course we don't have the actual record of the memorials offered by Christ. And we'll get into this in a little more detail later. It is there that we find evidence, though, that the Jews had not yet celebrated the Passover at the time when Jesus had already concluded the meal. As it begins in verse 1, 
He tells that the meal took place before the feast of the Passover. And yes, Jesus desired, as we said, to eat eat of the Passover. But according to Bollinger, the intent of that next phrase was that by no means he would eat of it until the kingdom came. So if we consider again the words of Luke in the 22nd chapter in verses 15 and 16, And he said unto them, With desire of desire to eat, again, this Passover, this particular Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will by no means eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Mark's account would lead us to believe that Jesus would not have been arrested on the day of the feast. So if this was the case, he had to have been arrested before the Passover feast began. Some more things to consider. Again, things to consider as possible evidence that the Last Supper took place on the night before the Passover. We have the reference, for example, to Judas buying those things that he would have need of against the feast in John 13 and 29. We are told that Joseph of Arimathea bought fine linen for the interment of Jesus. These purchases could not have been made on the day of the feast itself. They had to have been made before because the shops would be closed once the feast began. Also in John 18 and 28, it indicates that Jesus was on trial even before the Passover started, particularly the one before Pilate. We are also told in John that the crucifixion took place on the day of preparation. And this is most relevant and most important for us to consider. And it, referring to the day of crucifixion, was the preparation of the Passover in John 19 and 14. The preparation day, as we know, was the day before the Passover Sabbath. Later in the same chapter, it is recorded, for that Sabbath, that is, the day after the crucifixion, was a high day. This can only mean that it was the Sabbath, or the Passover Sabbath, in the early hours of which the Passover was actually eaten. Continuing on with even additional evidence, and perhaps the most important thing as we consider what we're proposing about the, last, the timing, in this case, of the Last Supper. If Jesus, in fact, did not partake of the Passover lamb in that last meal, then his death that occurred, as we know, at the ninth hour would coincide precisely with the time when the Passover lambs began to be slain in the temple court. And so we have, indeed, a beautiful type fulfilled. That is, the Lamb of God, which, which taketh away the sin of the world would have been killed at the same time as the antitype, excuse me, as the type, and a beautiful parallel would have been fulfilled. Now, according to Jewish tradition, and how much weight we put into this, but again, as preserved in the Talmud, it says that Jesus died on the 14th day of Abib, which was the, again the day of preparation. In the first 300 years after the apostolic writings, 
early Christian authors who commented on this question said that the Last Supper, in fact, was not held at the same time as the Jewish Passover. And if Jesus had actually eaten the Passover lamb, would not this have provided a powerful argument for the Judaizers in the first century that the believers should do the same? They did not mention that. They mentioned many other aspects of the law that they should have been doing. This was not one of them. In the Gospel accounts of the Last Supper, there is, as previously stated, no mention, not even a hint, of the lamb, which was the main feature, as we know, of the Passover meal. Isn't it far more appropriate that Jesus, that Jesus Christ was the lamb at that Last Supper? Now here we have the chronology, and before we go into that, we want to examine the points that appear to support the other view, that is, of Christ eating the Passover meal. As we know, Passover lambs were to be slain in the evening, actually late in that afternoon, and were to be eaten soon after sunset according to custom. So when the disciples approached Jesus to inquire as to their Passover observance, it could have been even the evening before. That would have been the very first hours of this day, the 14th day of Abib. It's difficult to imagine when we think about it that the disciples would have taken not taken thought sooner than it appears if we just literally read the account in the Gospels. Sooner than even less than 12 hours before the actual celebration. And indeed, when we consider how much was involved in the preparation the elaborate nature of the preparations to be made, it's remarkable that they did not raise the matter with their master several days before. It should be understood, then, that it was early, or what we're proposing, it was early on the evening before the Passover that Peter and John went into the city to make arrangements for keeping the feast and keeping it some 24 hours later. But we propose... We suggest that Jesus and the rest followed them to the house that same evening and there partook of the meal in the upper room, whereas in the normal course of things, the Passover would not have been eaten until the next day or the 15th day of Abib. So then we have this chronology that we'll conclude with today, the possible chronology, as I've entitled it, of the Last Supper and the Crucifixion. So on the 14th day... On the sixth hour, as we just mentioned, we have Peter and John going ahead to make arrangements for the Passover meal. The ninth hour, again, early in that day, the 14th of Nisan or Abib, Jesus and the others following and going up to the, to the upper room where they have this Last Supper as a new Passover. The twelfth hour, we know Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane. And then the trials begin early in the morning, which would have been 3 a.m., taking place, as we, set, as we know, over the night. The sixth hour, which would have been, or really six, the 6 a.m., the formal condemnation by the Sanhedrin, and then the trial and condemnation by Pilate, and approximately the ninth hour on that uh, Again, nearing the end of that day, the crucifixion took place. 
And then approximately, and we say approximately, or certainly before 6 p.m., Jesus dies. And, it's at this, and now we're in the afternoon, at the, end, the afternoon of the normal day, near the end of the 14th day of Abib, or Nisan. Jesus dies at the same time the Passover lambs are being slain, according to the tradition of the Jewish Passover. And Christ is buried. And so then on the 15th day is when the Passover Sabbath begins and the meal is eaten. The actual lamb is eaten according to the tradition of the Passover. So think about those things as you uh, this afternoon and this evening, and we'll, you'll have the handout to look at, but just consider them as a possibility that might explain and, and really, I think, fulfill the type most beautifully. Thank you.